by for Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors with your host, Drew Kirby. Hey, this is Luke Holmes. I am Morgan Wallen. I'm Riley Green. I'm Travis Denning. Hey, I'm Aaron Lewis. Hey, it's Luke Bryan. I'm Tim McGraw. What's up? This is Ian Munsick. Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. All right, we are back. Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors, always available on demand 24-7 at the radio station's app. Just click on demand. You can listen to any show that we've had in the past couple of years. Janet Millick and Justin Benfett with us. And uh, you guys, we've got a, a really important time upon us as we have those statewide meetings that are open to the public. And this is where the public can really step up and and let their feelings be known about what they think or what they've seen over the last year. That's right, Drew. We talk a lot about the importance of the public in our season setting process. We have the harvest surveys that are important that kind of in the fall and early part of the year, you can you can tell us how you did. We look at that. Um, you know, you have the opportunity to converse with us individually at any time. And most importantly, coming up here throughout March, um, depending on where you live, kind of mid-March to end of March, we're going to have a ton of our public meetings um, where we talk about what we're proposing for seasons. That includes season dates, that includes number of licenses that are that are issued. And it's really um, important for us that we have the public there to tell us what they're seeing on the ground and what they're thinking is going on and to hear what we're seeing on the ground and what we think is going on. What are some of the things that, that will be discussed at these meetings? Are they just an open format where anyone and everyone can come in and, and talk whatever they want as far as it's the wildlife? Or is it more of a, um, here's what we're talking about. We want to know your thoughts on that. Well, of course, Drew, it is different at every meeting because somebody different runs every meeting. You're going to be talking to your local biologist, your local game wardens, in addition to other members of the region. And so so it's going to be different no matter where you go. But hey, we're here for all of it. So, you know, if you don't learn what you want to learn or don't hear what you need to hear, raise your hand and let us know. And, and Justin can talk a little bit about our Casper meetings and what we'll be doing here um, but it's it's pretty neat and uh, a lot of great opportunity for conversation. Yeah, Drew. So, like our our public meetings have really evolved over time. So when I when I started twenty years ago doing this, you know, public meetings used to be a much bigger deal. We used to have much higher turnout, and that was kind of that's the way local folks knew how to come get their information. Um, over time, it seemed like public attendance has waned, and we've tried to evolve um, how how we present our information in this digital age to the public. And then things really changed when COVID hit, and and uh, we were told we couldn't have public meetings and that sort of thing back in 2020. So the way it kind of goes is like Janet said, it just depends. So in Casper, we tend to present like a little bit more of a formal presentation, talk through things. But you know, you get over to Lusk where it's kind of more of a of a just a, a informal gathering and just talk through things and and it's everything in between but in addition to that we now also present some online um, uh, presentations for each biologist district so for example in our casper region we've got a casper biologist a douglas one and, and a newcastle biologist and so each of those three will have a presentation that covers deer elk antelope grouse turkeys rabbits you name it um, uh, for for their little part of the world, and they actually narrate those presentations and kind of talk through some things, and then we post that online, and folks can can then uh, 
um, listen to them as they please, and and they can also provide us formal comments um, through our website. What information is actually used when it comes to the season setting meetings in uh, mid-April? Well, of course, there's a whole ton of information that we're utilizing, information like we've talked in the past that we're collecting throughout the year that actually ultimately results in in what our recommendations are. But if if you're talking you know, through these public meetings and the public input that we get, um, it, it just really depends. So, I mean, obviously we wouldn't have public meetings and a public input process if we didn't listen to those comments and and try to um, try to to adhere to those comments and make and make changes based on those accordingly. But it just really depends. These these comments can really run the gamut from hey, I just want to change an opening day because that's when I don't have to work on a Tuesday or something like that. Or all the way to sometimes, you know, we'll propose things where we get a a bunch of folks that galvanize in either support or opposition to what we're proposing. And and, uh, we do try to accommodate public input to the extent possible. It's certainly fair to say that we we can't make changes based on everything. But um, at the end of the day, we're managing the public's wildlife. And, and so public input is, is pretty important to us. We're rapidly approaching these meetings and winter has kind of been rough and there's still more winter to come. But how much information will you be able to share with the public about the condition of the wildlife at this point? This is something that we watch all year long, you know, starting in October, sometimes when the snow starts to fly. Um, we, you know, hope that the animals are going into the winter with with being in good condition, good body fat, you know, good habitat, good forage. And we just continue to watch. And as we all know, this has been a heck of a winter. There's been little areas where where animals have been able to hide out and find feed and, and do good. We have just not stopped with the blizzards. And so we're, we're getting to a point where we're looking at some pretty serious um, winter conditions for those animals. And we're giving an update at the March meeting to the commission so that they know kind of what everyone is seeing on the ground. And um, come April, we might know a little bit more, but it's going to be a long term all year by the time we hit May. Justin, when we talked to you earlier this year, you said that you'd been monitoring like you always do. And at that point, things were looking good, but things have kind of changed. Yeah, it really has. So, and that was actually back kind of earlier in January. So it's, it's been a while now. And so it's, it's one of those things like winter was off to kind of a a moderate start. We had, we had some snow that stuck around. And when we talked, it was like, yeah, we'll see. But as with, as with all things in Wyoming, um, typically, we don't if if we're going to experience heavy winter losses in our wildlife, we don't start to see those till mid to late February and into March, and that's because those animals have endured the bulk of the winter by then, and that's when they're at their their weakest, just you know, body health condition wise and that sort of thing, and and then these these later season storms can really push things over, and that's exactly what we're into now. I mean, we've had since we last spoke, we've had multiple large snowstorms and some pretty frigid temperatures and with just a little bit of moderate warm up in between that can that can uh, melt a little bit of that top layer of snow and then freeze again and and uh, cause ice crusting and really you know difficult conditions for an animal to walk through and and dig through and ultimately get some forage so things have been reshaped up to be really tough in several parts of the state. What is your cutoff for information collecting before you give it to the commission? Will it be that last day before, like the 16th of April? Well, like Janet said, we're, we're certainly watching it. We're watching it all the time. And 
And uh, so there's a couple things that we'll be doing. So we're going to err on the side of caution with, with most of our season recommendations. So there's already a lot of parts of the region where we've, we've frankly been in, in the, the mode of reducing licenses over the last four or five years as our deer and antelope populations have kind of struggled over that time frame. Um, but there are some cases, we've got a few places like let's just say south of Casper where antelope have done really well. Our plans were to increase licenses quite a bit this year. Um, but now with kind of where we're at with, with the winter, um, we'll probably be pulling back on, on some of that. Um, uh, in other cases, we're already planning to cut, but we'll continue to watch that through the season setting process. We can make changes all the way up until our April commission meeting. Um, uh, and so by then we'll have a really good handle. There's also a couple other things that, that, uh, that we'll do to monitor this. So, so um, there may be some places where we actually put an airplane up in the air um, and look for, uh, just try to see if we can gauge just the extent to which we're losing some antelope out in some of the sagebrush country. Um, and then the other thing, the other tool that we have in our belt now that we didn't used to is we have more collared animals around the state now than we've ever had before. So that's from a, a bunch of different research projects like migration corridor stuff, you name it, wind energy projects. Um, but we also have this new mule deer monitoring package that our, our commission passed. So we've we've got a bunch of callers and in, in several deer herds around the state um, where we're trying to just better understand, you know, their survival and, and how they fare throughout the course of the year. And so with all this, um, it's, you know, one of the things that we're learning in parts of the state with all these collared animals is we've lost quite a few collared animals and in, in depending on where you're at just in the last couple of weeks. Do you see that the collared animals will increase now that we've seen great information off of the, the higher numbers that we already have, or will they stay the same? Well, with the mule deer, the new monitoring package, I mean, we're going to continue to do that in parts of the state for the next five years pretty intensively. But in other parts of the state, it just kind of depends on what the localized research needs are. But it's fair to say um, there's we have we have more research going on than at any time in our agency's history. So um, I would say we're going to have quite a few colored animals for years to come. The information that you have collected is way better than you've ever had in the past too. And that obviously helps with, you know, the future of hunting in Wyoming. Yeah. It's really remarkable now what we're learning. I mean, let's just take South of Casper, for example, we had kind of, um, a whole bunch of antelope colored in Shirley Basin as part of a wind project and then also um, up further north, a migration project. And so we're learning there. Those animals tend to kind of winter in two discrete areas. Like there's a whole bunch of them that will go south into the into the west over towards Rollins and Seminole Reservoir. And then a bunch um, move north and winter just south of Casper in the area we call Bates Hole, um, you know, kind of by that rest area on Highway 47 between there and Alcova and to the north there, down in that lower country. Well, just in the last couple of weeks, we've actually lost several animals in that Rollins country. We haven't lost any in our Bates Hole portion of it. You know, that could inform how we manage antelope in, in Hunt Area 32 versus like 47 and 48. And so that's just a, a just a little snippet of, of how this can inform what we're doing. Which obviously the the meeting's coming up March twentieth through twenty third. Go to wgft.wild.gov to make sure you know where the meeting is going to be in your region and to find out all the information. Thanks, Janet and Justin. Brian from Rocky Mountain Discount Sports is up next. It's Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors.
It's Drew along with Brian Woodward from Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. And, Brian, uh, you know, we've had a snap of warm weather, and people are getting really antsy to, to get out on their boat and fish, but there's still ice, so you really can't do that unless you ice fish. Yeah, there's a lot of guys that are hitting the hard water still, and, you know, with the nicer weather, the ice conditions are still pretty good, um, and uh, guys are getting out there and just enjoying the time. Now, when when people go out to to check the ice, you know, you want to make sure you have solid ice, at least four inches to walk on, and Godzilla at 100 inches. 100, we, right. We've covered that a lot over the last <laughs> couple of months. But, you know, making sure you have all the equipment that you need, and you guys still have a full supply of, of ice fishing stuff. Yeah, we do. Um, it's been picked through pretty good this season, but uh, there's still plenty enough to get a, a guy out, especially if you've never fished before on the ice. I mean, there's all the all the basic stuff to get you on the water, and um, you know, enjoy that nice weather because you know it's uh, it's not going to last forever. And when we, when we have these nice days, uh, we had a full moon this last week, so we had some guys that uh, were really focusing on going out late in the evenings uh, to try to hit that full moon bite. Uh, so uh, it's been kind of interesting to listen to people, but we got some great opportunities still ahead of us. Now, we have had a really interesting winter so far uh, with spring lurking in just a couple of weeks, but really cold, then mild, then lots of snow and really cold again. Is this going to affect the way that you're fishing or maybe what you're fishing? It's just going to affect when we can get on the water. I mean, especially on uh, the, the big water in terms of getting the big boats out. But uh, there's a lot of people that are just, you know, hitting the, the rivers, the tailwaters off of uh, Gray Reef or, you know, some of these other uh, tributaries where uh, there's still a lot of action. I mean, there's, there's fish are hungry and uh, the, the North Platte River coming out of Gray Reef, it's going to start getting really busy with fly fishermen here because when they start getting some nice days, uh, we're going to start seeing, you know, 20, 30, 40 boats on the water. Which, of course, that if you're looking for an outdoor experience, you can always go up on the mountain. There's lots of snow there. I know we multiple feet of snow, so snowshoeing and, and uh, cross-country skiing and, and kind of just getting out and enjoying it. Yeah, I mean, it, we've got kind of the best of both worlds. You know, we've got the, the good snow conditions and we've got good ice conditions, and now we couple that with some nice 40, 50-degree days. Um, obviously be safe on the, on the hard water, but you know, it's a great opportunity to get out there and go snowshoeing or just do some trail riding, that kind of stuff. Well, with uh, small game still uh, around the area, there's rabbit hunting and, and some of that, that if you are wanting to get your kids out and get involved with the weather kind of in a good stage right now, maybe a new uh, 22 or, uh, you know, a, a small 410 or something like that would be a good idea. Well, it sounds like the best way to spend some tax money, right? You get, yeah. you get that tax return and, uh, you know, maybe go splurge a little bit on the kids and go get them outside and teach, teach them how to, to properly handle a, a firearm and, and some of the safety stuff that goes behind that. But, yeah, we've got a huge selection of 22s and some of that rim fire. Not only the firearms, but the ammo has really become available pretty well. And one thing that um, has become popular over the last few years are the air rifles. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a good pellet gun is, is a great way to, to teach your kid a little of the uh, safety skills that they need to, to go. Yeah, that and, um, you know, a lot of these schools um, are actually having some archery programs. So, you know, just when the weather starts getting nice, the kids have been tied up inside, you know, a lot of the winter, um, you know, to just pick up a, a kid's bow and get them outside and shooting at some targets and let them, let them see what dad and mom do. Now, uh, obviously, when you come out here to Rocky Mountain Discount Sports, everyone here is knowledgeable enough to, 
help you out in, in whatever it is you're looking for. And, and I know that a lot of people are a little itching. And uh, I was out here the other day, and I saw some guys that were sighting in bows and just kind of back in the, the archery range just to kind of give himself a little uh, extra practice. Yeah, you know, uh, we work with uh, Lost Arrows here in Casper, and they've got a really nice group of guys that uh, do a lot of, like, competitive, you know, 3D shoots and some and a paper league on Thursday nights, I believe. Uh, so that's been kind of fun. But they've also um, – we've also got the new Hoyt and uh, Matthews releases. So uh, those bows just got announced. We've got those bows in stock. And so we're starting to see guys, you know, whether it's tax return money or just that it was time for them to upgrade their bow, are coming in and getting those bows set up, using our 20-yard range and uh, getting some good practice in. Which, obviously, you get a new bow, you need to get it set up right, and you need to make sure it's perfect for you. And that isn't going to be good for you to go out and buy the bow and then go hunting that day. And to have a summer full of practice time is a great lead time. Yeah, you know, uh, Casper Mountain, There's a, the Archery Club supports a uh, archery range up there with a bunch of 3D targets. It's a phenomenal range. Not very accessible right now, <laughs> but, uh, you know, get the, get the new bow set up. Get, maybe, maybe you're looking at doing a new site this year and upgrading your old bow, uh, but get it all sighted in. And then once that weather breaks and you can get up the mountain and uh, access the uh, archery range, that, that range up there is, is awesome. So it's a great opportunity for you to come in. And like Brian said, that tax money's burning a hole in your pocket. Why not spend it right here? Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. It's Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. It's Drew and Brian Woodward back. And uh, Brian, this is kind of a bittersweet time of year because we're about out of almost every hunting season. Uh, except for some bird hunting right now. Yeah, there's still uh, the bird farm outside of town here, Riverbend Roosters. They uh, think they're open until the 31st of the month. Starting uh, April 1st, in a lot of areas, we're going to start seeing some uh, turkey hunting seasons open. A good pheasant hunt is a good way to get the cardio going, because if you've been sitting all winter, why not get up and right. go see Bob and walk around a little bit? Well, it's sure a good time for the dogs, you know, and it's fun. nothing nothing funner than to just sit there and watch the dogs work and watch, the, watch them put their nose to the ground and, and chase up a bird and... Uh, it's a great time. Now, you actually uh, have a young pup dog that uh, you're training to, to be a, a bird dog. Mm-hmm. And uh, you had a little experience with him a, a couple of weeks ago. And how did that go? I mean, because he's really fresh. Yeah, he's well, he's nine months, and I've got a nine-year-old also. So my nine-year-old gets uh, preferential treatment because I can't mm-hmm. leave the house without him tearing it apart if I uh, take another <laughs> <Right>. dog. So uh, <laughs> it's like an angry girlfriend. So, uh, so anyways... Uh, the, the the puppy we uh, we took him out with a group of guys last uh, last Sunday and really did pretty good. He was you know kind of not a hundred percent sure what to do and mm-hmm. um, we I just kind of let him run around and do his thing and by the end of the day he was uh, re- reacting and responding to gunshots and actually following uh, birds down birds. Uh, he, he did a great job retrieving them. Was uh, wanting to play tug of war with the other dogs at, at times, which is not good. But for his first trip out, I see a lot of really good promise, and um, I'm going to take him out there to Bob's here in the next month and let Bob work with them for a couple months. And uh, hopefully, by the season uh, starts in the fall, we'll we'll be ready again. When you have a dog like that, I mean, obviously Jaeger's been around other dogs, but uh, like gunfire, did did that really for the first? you know, a little bit really screw with him? Not really. Cause you know, uh, 
I had taken him out. Uh, we've been, you know, sponsoring the HD Outdoors um, yeah. the the first Wednesday or first Friday every uh, month. They've been having a, a shooting event out at um, Riverbend Roosters. And so they've just been shooting clay targets off the back deck and uh, five stand and that kind of stuff. And so I, I'd bring the pup with me, and uh, really he gave no cares of whatsoever was going on with the, with the shooting side of things. So I think just getting him exposed to being around some of those noises um, certainly certainly helped. And um, he's he's got a lot of energy. He's, he's not going to be afraid of gunfire by the time we're done. And one of the best parts about going out to Bob's is, you know, you, you could get yourself some birds or – you can just do some shooting with mm-hmm. the clays and take your dog and let it run out like that. Or, you know, Bob does a great job training and, and has trained a lot of the great bird dogs around here. Yeah, um, he's got a great facility out there. I mean, he's, he does, doesn't really do a lot of boarding. He does, um, uh, you know, breed a few a few litters a year. Um, definitely not a puppy mill or anything like that. It's a, it's a great program that he's got out there. Dogs have, that I've seen that, that have come out of there have been really – from good good lines and do a great job um but he does do quite a bit of training and so the summer months is kind of when he focuses on on that uh the other thing that's great during the summer months is he's he's got the three uh, three sporting clays courses set up so i think you can you know purchase a card and you can kind of go almost 24 7 basically uh where he's got electronic stands loaded up with clay targets and you can run the whole course so there's uh, going to be leagues that are going to be set up out there um you can just go out and just take the wife out and just go you know spend a couple hours or just you know like going to a movie you know All right so and more entertaining than a movie really more entertaining and probably cheaper yeah, in the long run you're right <laughs> uh but one of the things that I, I really like about the fact that you can go out and shoot is some guys will not shoot a gun at a bird until duck season or goose season or pheasant season but you get rusty and you right. gotta you gotta keep your your muscle memory is is shooting and going out to bobs and, and doing things like that is uh, the perfect way to keep your mind uh, tough until the season comes back yeah you know and there's it's it's just great to be outdoors right i mean that's uh you know you pick pick your days if you know a lot of times if the wind's blowing in casper it's calm out there it's, mm-hmm. it's crazy it's almost like it's in some kind of a a valley but uh, those ranchers knew what they were doing when they put those homes in those areas because uh, a lot of times when it's crazy windy and casper um, you'll go out there and it'll be really pleasant so um, you know don't let don't let the weather affect what you're going to be doing but that's that's a great option to for something to do I mean of course you can always swing by uh, Sloan's and grab your ice cream when you're done oh yeah or maybe before that's right know. that's a, one of the top things you know you got to go out and do that now we are talking pheasant hunting and and shooting but there's another bird season coming in here soon and that's the turkey bird I haven't done much turkey hunting and the the what the times that I have gone I've gone with somebody that kind of knew what they were doing but I think there's plenty of resources, you know. I mean, we, um, we're we selling shotguns already. I mean, a lot of guys coming in looking for single-shot uh, 20 gauges or 28 gauges or a lot of 410s, actually. We're rigging them up with uh, some optics, you know, some reflex sights or red dot sights, and they're shooting that um, TSS shot. Talked to a couple guys here that are like, yeah, you know, I only spent $129 on this gun, but I spent $200 on the optics and <laughs> then five or six dollars a shot. He goes, but I'm, you know, my when I killed my first turkey at 60 yards, my buddy said, holy cow, I need to get that set up. Yeah. You know, that was when I was a kid going out turkey hunting was one of the things we did as as a family with my, my dad. And, and, you know, he always said turkeys have great eyes 
and they can see just the smallest movement. I don't know if you've been on uh, Wolcott or any of these areas here. Uh, these are wild turkeys, but they're kind of domesticated at this point. So it's not the same. You do have to, right. you know, be camoed up, and you you have to be. You know, using your skills. So we can't just drive our car into the field and sit there and wait for him to come peck at our car? No. no I, it, it's odd. It's weird. I, who knows? But you, you just you can't do that. But uh, I think this year would be a great year for turkey hunting. And if you've never thought about it, you know, you don't have to, you know, apply. You don't have to send off. You can come in and get an over-the-counter license. Yeah, it's something to definitely research a little bit on the Game and Fish website. Um, unfortunately, you know, they're not printing the the brochures or pamphlets yeah. anymore. So all the research has to be done online. But uh, those seasons are coming up, so you still got plenty of time to, you know, sight in a shotgun or uh, figure out what you're going to do on that end of it and maybe look at some of the different uh, walk-in areas that offers uh, turkey hunting. If you do go out and, and do some turkey hunting, we want to hear about it, and you can always hit us up in our app. Uh, send us a message, and uh, we'd love to interact with you here on the show. It's Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. It's Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. I am Drew. Thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, you can reach out to us if you have any questions, uh, if you want to talk more about our guests, or you have a thought you want to bring up on the show, do it in the station's app. Just click the Messages button. Now, a few weeks ago, I met a guy named Pete Matson. Uh, Pete is with Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, but there's more to Pete. And uh, I found this out at a Thankful Thursday event in Casper. And Pete owns a llama pack company. It's Bighorn Pack Llamas. You can go to their website, bighornpacklamas.com, to find out a little more. And Pete, how are things going? Uh, pretty good. A lot better in the last few weeks. So, um, yeah, happy spring is coming. Yeah. You know, when uh, when we last talked, you had just been getting over COVID. And how are you feeling now? Uh, much, much better. Yeah, that, that took me down for about a week, and it was uh, not a great week to be down. But, um, yeah, back in 100% now. Well, that's good to hear. And you got big plans for the spring and summer as far as uh, getting out and enjoying nature? Yeah, yeah, counting down to it, chomping at the bit, really. So, um, yeah, lots of trips planned, starting with uh, some trips next month, coming up in the next few weeks here. So. That's really cool. Now, we had you out at a thankful Thursday. I found out that you were responsible for bighorn pack llamas. Where did your love of llamas begin? Um, yeah, so it's a bit of a long story, but it um, really my, my llama journey, if you want to call it that, started back in, in 2017. I was, I was working for an outfitter in central Idaho uh, doing trail rides and pack trips with a lot of horses and a couple of mules. And uh, pulled into a trailhead and saw a trailer that said uh, Wilderness Ridge Trail Llamas on the side of it. And I thought that was kind of funny. And so we went on that ride. And a couple of years later, I was laying in bed on my honeymoon in Mexico and watching hunting shows. And uh, this guy comes on the show and he's got llamas with him. And it says Wilderness Ridge. So I sent him a message. And, and sure enough, it was the same guy I'd seen at that trailhead. And uh, we got to talking a little bit. And... Um, that kind of sparked the idea of llamas. And then when we moved out here, just west of town, we got some property and I was pretty dead set on having horses. Um, I love horses. I always will, but um, started doing some more research into pack animals. And uh, now that I was going to have to, you know, fold the feel the full brunt of that cost rather than have the outfitter offset that um, 
I started looking at some other options for pack stock, um, started looking at goats, uh, looked at mules real briefly, and then started looking hard into llamas. And uh, back in 2019, 2018, started, started really trying to get serious about trying to find some to purchase. And here we are today. So how different is it to go on a pack trip with a llama rather than a horse? Um, yeah, so it's kind of funny. A lot of people who, who ride horses and, and pack with horses and hunt with horses and camp with horses uh, do it for the horses. And I totally get that. Um, but it's a lot less about the activity that you're going back there for sometimes and a lot more about the horses. Um, and that's just fine. You know, I love riding horses. Like I said, I always will. Um, but llamas kind of change the game in that they're really supporting what other activity you're going out there to do. So whether it be camping, hiking, hunting, fishing, rock climbing, photography, all of those things still take the majority of the focus from the trip. And the llamas are just there to help support it. Um, and you can make them as big or as small uh, a part of the trip as you want. Uh, so that's a major difference. Um, you need to access areas that sometimes you can't get with horses in terms of pack trips, um, mainly because you don't have to, to camp so close to water like you do with the horses. Um, and they take quite a bit less time to take care of, you know, day-to-day -day chores, uh, the feeding and the watering. So it gives you more time for your activities back there as well. So the llamas kind of take care of themselves a little easier than, than a horse does? Yeah, for the most part, um, you know, and a lot of times I'm packing water in with us. So we don't have to you camp anywhere near water. I can pack in enough water for me and a couple other folks and, and the llamas themselves and um, not have to filter water back there at all. So that becomes pretty nice. But um, yeah, we use uh, either stakeout uh, ropes or low lines to stake out the llamas. They get about a 20 foot circumference uh, to graze out there. They'll eat just about anything that's good for them, um, including pine bark and pine needles. Um, so kind of like a goat in that way. And yeah, they really don't require a whole lot of feed. So we move them maybe once or twice a day, depending on where we're at and uh, pack in about a, a pound per head of uh, protein pellets just to help supplement them while they're in the backcountry and working hard and and that's about it so we offer them water once a day they'll drink maybe a gallon or two um pops and and it's not uncommon for them to not drink the first you know day or two of a backcountry trip really so so they can sustain off a minimal water and it sounds like minimal food yeah super super efficient animals you know just from a biological perspective um they process their food really really well um their excrement comes out basically weed-free because of that. They process all the seeds. Um, they get a lot of their moisture from their feed, especially if they're getting fresh green feed. Um, yeah, so they're super, super efficient in just about every way. What about when it comes to the load that they can carry? You know, you got a big horse and they're able to carry a lot of a lot of weight. Yeah, yep. Horses can certainly um, outpack them weight-wise, um, but llamas hold their own. Um, they're looking at, you know, between 20 and 30% on the high end of of their body weight for packing. So for most of the llamas we're using nowadays for pack llamas, uh, you're talking about 70, 80 pounds if you're packing five days a week. Um, if you're trying to get an elk over the ridge back to camp, um, you can throw 100 up to 120 pounds on the right llama. Wow. How many llamas do you take on a, on a pack trip? Is it just uh, particular on how many people you got or? Yeah. So yeah, that number always seems to be increasing as time goes on as well. Just, just cause I like having them back there with us, but um, it depends on, on what you're doing, where you're going and, and who you're going with really, but anywhere from two up to six. Um, I was on a hunt with, with four other guys in September and we had 
I think, uh, I think it was nine llamas back there with us, nine or ten. So it all depends on, on where you're going, what you're doing, and, and who you're with. But, yeah, anywhere from, from two to ten, I guess. So if you have nine llamas with you on, on a particular trip, how many horses could you take back with you um, in, in comparison with the food and water that you'd have to have? So I would think that would be probably about three to four horses, and we're talking pack horses. And um, if you're carrying in feed, if you, you know, you had to do a feed run, we were back there for about a week. Um, so that becomes a little bit of a factor as well. Uh, that's one thing you don't have to do with the llamas is any kind of feed or water runs for the most part. So, yeah. So you're looking at about maybe two llamas per horse. Well, that's just fascinating. Pete Matson from Bighorn Pack Llamas. And Pete, is it safe to say there aren't a whole lot of pack llamas in Wyoming? Um, you'd think so uh, on the surface, but actually kind of Wyoming is is almost the mecca of the pack llama industry in North America. There's some big some bigger operations, uh, Northern Colorado out of Fort Collins, uh, Lander Llama Company out of Lander, and then uh, Wilderness Ridge Trail Llamas out of Idaho Falls. I think those are some of the bigger operations that are breeding and training and, and running pack trips as well. Um, so, yeah, Casper's kind of right in the middle of all of that, so we're in a good spot. That's uh, that's amazing. I, again, I never really thought about a, a llama being uh, being a resource like that. Yeah, they're becoming a lot more popular. Um, Every day I get calls about once a week of folks trying to look for llamas for sale. There's really not that many of them. And we're talking pack llamas specifically. Uh, There are other kinds of llamas that are are not intentional pack llamas. So it's kind of like the square rectangle thing. Every llama is a llama, but not every llama is a pack llama. God, yeah. (laughs) Um, So there's only about a a, a few thousand pack llamas in North America right now. And um, yeah, the popularity is, is certainly increasing. How far will you or can you take your pack llamas if someone books a trip with you? So we're restricted to our permitted areas, um, just based mostly on the U.S. Forest Service and BLM and, and where we can operate and where we're permitted. So um, right now we've got a, a permit for the southern portion of the Bighorn Mountains, basically the entire Snowy and Sierra Madre ranges. So it's not just hunting trips that you guys uh, are able to be booked for. You do even smaller events and camping trips. Yeah. So what we do, we don't do any overnight guided services. We, we're simply a pack service. Mm-hmm. So we will carry, um, we do what's called a drop camp or a spike camp where we pack in our wall tent, our stoves, our chairs, our cots, our sleeping bags, our coolers, basically everything you'd need to have a nice time out in the wilderness and, and live a, a pretty cushy life while you're back there. Um, and then we set it up for you and, and you hike in and enjoy it. And then when you're done, we come back in, we pack everything back up and we pack everything back out. So it's really kind of a turnkey camping trip um, back into the wilderness, into the wild. Um, and then we also do pack services. So we'll pack your gear. If you don't want to use our gear, we'll pack your gear. And that's good for rock climbers, photographers, experienced backpackers, you know, who are trying to support a through hike or something like that. And then um, we also do game retrievals. So say you're back there in hunting camp and you shoot an elk four or five miles back from camp or from where you're parked uh, and you, you're not quite equipped to pack it out or you simply don't want to, yeah. uh, you just have to call. We'll go pick up your, your, you know, legally taken and tagged animal and pack it out for you. Wow. That is absolutely amazing. And uh, you even have a little something for the kids, right? We let uh, the kids come out and hang out. Yeah. Yep. So we do llama walks and day hikes as well. We're doing those mostly up on muddy mountain. Um, but 
closer to the Casper area. Um, so we'll meet up, we'll do a llama walk and talk and, and really get to know llamas. Um, it's fun for kids to come out and say hi, get some photos taken. Um, and, and for other folks as well who just want to get introduced to llamas. Um, one new service we're going to start offering here pretty soon is a packing clinic. We're not doing llama rentals right now. We just don't have the llama numbers for it. Right. Um, it's going to be like a packing 101 course. Well, you'll, you'll learn the ins and outs of packing with llamas. And then it should be transferable to other uh, outfitters who are renting out llamas. So that way you don't have to do uh, the course the day of when you go pick up your llamas. Um, we're going to try and partner with some other llama companies so that our course is good for wherever you're going to be renting llamas from. So it's kind of a double dip there. Definitely a, a pretty cool opportunity for you to check this out. And it's right here in our backyard. Uh, go to bighornpacklamas.com to, to find out more, find out how to book a packing trip, or if you need a, a little assistance, Pete can get you all hooked up. And and I didn't know that I would be as interested in llamas, Pete, until that night at Thankful Thursday, and then I started researching. I'm like, well, this is really cool, and I'm sure a lot of people don't even know about this. Yeah, yeah, they really are incredible animals. You know, they're they're really purpose-built for packing. They've been, been packing in South America for thousands and thousands of years so um yeah it's really cool to be able to get them get them out there and, and put them to use and and they sure make it fun pete madsen uh again we worked with him backcountry hunters and anglers uh also find them bighornpacklamas.com pete thanks a lot thank you drew appreciate it it's wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors well, we are back here on Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. It's been a very fun, entertaining, exciting show. Lots of information thrown out. Of course, uh, you can always go ask us any more questions at our station's app. Thank you again for tuning in. Now, coming up next weekend is a pretty cool event with the Wyoming chapter of the Dallas Safari Club. And Jamie Morales is with us from the club. And Jamie, how ready or prepared are you guys for next week's event? It's going to be pretty big. You ready? We're getting there. Definitely getting there. I mean, there's so many last minute things to to put together. And, you know, it's it's like a, a huge, crazy event. There's so much paperwork and stuff to, you know, deal with outfitters and donation forms. And so we're, we're getting there. This event is next weekend, the 17th and 18th, and some of the items that you guys have for auction and to give away and have secured are really uh, wild, crazy, and a big opportunity. You know, being a part of the Dallas Fire Club, we're really fortunate to be able to have lots of connections uh, with folks around the world, really. And so uh, that's benefit, you know, for us. And definitely you can, you can check out our auction online. Um, so at our, on our website, so it's a uh, yodse.org. Uh, all of our live auction items are listed on there, but you can also check it out on online hunting auctions. So we're actually going to be doing our auction online as well. So if somebody can't make it to the event, but they still want to you know bid on an item, um, it's going to be an online event as well. That's, so that's, cool. that's big time technology yeah. there. I know that's what I'm saying. It's it's been crazy putting this all together, but it's great. We already have some people bidding on some different hunts and different items, and we have a couple of featured hunts. We have this really awesome hunt in Hungary. It's a with a fallow deer, so it's for one hunter and one non-hunter, but you get to stay in a castle, and you know you get to travel around uh, Budapest, and wow. it's it's a really really cool trip. And so I we kind of look at these hunts as kind of like a gateway, you know, to kind of 
access and, and start hunting and fishing around the world. And uh, these auctions really give you an opportunity to be, to be able to do that. I was chatting with someone just the other day, and we were talking about the Dallas Safari Club and how Wyoming has a chapter. The first thing they said was, well, how does that help us here in Wyoming? And really, it actually does. Can you give us a quick background of the Wyoming chapter of Dallas Safari Club? So 95% of the funds that we raise get to go to projects of our choosing. And really an astounding 75% of those funds we keep in our state. So, you know, the extra 20%, we have 5% that goes to Deaf Foundation. The, the other percentage, the Dallas Safari Club gives us choices within education, conservation, or advocacy. And then we get to choose out of the club where we want to put, you know, that extra 10%. So what's really great is, you know, we, we put our money towards projects that are right in our back door. Can you tell us some of the projects that have actually benefited from the Dallas Safari Club Wyoming chapter? So a couple projects that have benefited because of the Wyoming Dallas Safari Club is the Sisterhood of the Outdoors. Um, they So we, we sponsored three women last year to you know go hunting in Wyoming. So uh, we're supporting women uh, and, and these girls are coming from you know around different states in the, in the United States. So from like one came from Ohio, one came from Texas. So, you know, they got to see Wyoming and all its beauty and, you know, they got to take their first animal uh, here. So we help support that. Uh, we've had events with our own kind of little section within the club called Women in the Field. So we got 50 women together. We had some little appetizers and we went to Wyoming Gun Company and all these ladies got to, you know, try their hand at all these different firearms and it was all paid for by the club. And it's just a chance for, you know, the girls to kind of get together and, you know, learn some firearm safety and um, just camaraderie really with with the girls. So that's been great. We've also done some things with the uh, Wyoming Game and Fish Education Department. So we've actually, we've bought clay pigeon throwers for the education department. You get them the proper equipment that they need to do that. Jamie, you and I have talked in the past where, you know, it's Wyoming and everybody's a hunter or a fisherman, but you'd be surprised the number of ladies that always thought, well, it's just my husband's thing. I don't have any way to be able to get out and do that. But a couple of the programs that you have assisted with are all about getting the women to be in the outdoors and love the outdoors as much as their husband does. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, not all women may love to hunt, but I know a lot of women who like to go out with their family just to be in the, in the outdoors. A lot of them like to, to take pictures or, you know, just be outside and, and, and relax. Um, all women are different. And, you know, we, we just want to try to get some women together who do like to hunt or maybe, you know, they're a little bit nervous about hunting and um, they want to step in tr and try something new. And so, you know, we're a great group of, of people to be able to, you know, come and talk talk to, uh, to, to kind of get you started with that on your journey. Even if you're not a hunter, or you, you're not a big fan of the outdoors, but learning gun safety, if there are guns in your house, you should know how to use them and how to be safe with them. So obviously that's something that you guys really focus on as well. So, uh, if they're looking yeah, for a little something to, you know, get out of the house and, and learn a little more, uh, joining up with you guys is a great way to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And we're actually, so we're looking to gain just more of a, of a membership. And so, you know, future members, we're hoping that we can meet once a month. We want to have like member meetups and get togethers. Uh, you know, we're also really big on the conservation piece. And so we want to be, you know, Wyoming to be able to stay the same way that it is. And we want to be able to enjoy the outdoors. And so 
you know, really, we, we want to start some boots on the ground projects and get really get people involved, um, you know, and in, in helping in the conservation with with, you know, the wild things that we all, you know, hold near and dear to our heart. Um, so, yeah, it's not it's not just about, you know, the women. It's not just about the kids. It's like it's it's the whole the whole kit and caboodle. We want to we want people just to come out, enjoy the outdoors, love it. We're about the conservation piece. We're about the education piece. And then we also, add, you know, we advocate for, you know, hunting to stay alive. If you go to yodsc.org, you can find out about how to become a member and find out more about this big event that's coming up next weekend. Where's this going to be held? Yeah. So on the 17th, and if you are actually, if anybody's interested in our club, like you said, go to the website. On the 17th, we're kind of doing a membership drive, and it's going to be at the M building. So it's uh, the new McGinley building. It's like the old Wells Fargo, that dome in town. Uh But you can get tickets online on our website uh, for the gala. Come check us out on the 17th. We're going to have some food. It's going to be some fun. Um, You can buy some things. So, yeah, that's going to be at the M building. And then tickets for the gala are online. So it's super easy to, to check out. Very good. Get over and see him again, yodcs.org. Jamie, thank you so much, and uh, we look forward to hearing big things from the Wyoming chapter of Dallas Fart Club. Yeah, we hope to see you guys out. Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors with Drew Kirby. If you have a question, want to make a comment, or have an idea for a show topic, message us on the My Country mobile app. Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors.